Hello and welcome to Science by the Slice. I'm Philip Stokes and right now I'm standing outside in my yard in Gainesville, Florida. You can probably hear the insects, the frogs. It's currently nighttime and my yard is pretty wooded. And the reason I'm standing out here is because of certain insects that are flying around me and those are mosquitoes. And if you're familiar with Gainesville and the University of Florida, you may know that it's nicknamed the swamp. Of course, swamps have lots of water and hence lots of mosquitoes. And if you know just a little bit about mosquitoes, you know they can spread disease. More specifically, they are the vector that spread the pathogens that cause disease. But have you ever asked yourself, why are there more mosquito-borne diseases in some countries than others? We know that they're more prevalent in the tropics and subtropics, but why do some countries, even within similar geographic regions, have a higher prevalence of these diseases? Why do I need to be concerned about malaria when I travel to sub-Saharan Africa, and not so much here in Florida? I can tell you that according to records reported by the Florida Department of Health, malaria was very prevalent in Florida in the early 1900s. I can also tell you that the species of mosquitoes that can transmit the parasites that cause malaria still exist here in Florida. So what has changed? And what is changing even today? And what's your part? What's my part in reducing mosquitoes and the diseases they can carry? Those are all questions you'll gain insight on in this podcast series. Now, before we get started, I do want to say that there are plenty of other mosquito-borne diseases here in Florida that are still a threat. You'll hear more about some of those in this series. But for now, I think it's time that I head inside and get away from these mosquitoes. Oh, and this series includes interviews conducted by Jacqueline Ayenje, a PhD student at the University of Florida. And she'll introduce herself a little bit more, as well as our guest that she interviewed, right after this. This is Science by the Slice, a podcast from the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Center for Public Issues Education. In this podcast, experts discuss the science of issues affecting our daily lives, reveal the motivations behind the decisions people make, and ultimately provide insight to solutions for our lives. Hello, my name is Jacqueline Ayenje. I'm a doctoral student at the University of Florida Department of Agricultural Education and Communication, and I will be your host for this series of Science by the Slice, where we will be discussing mosquito-borne diseases, mosquito control, management, and how you can help prevent mosquito-borne illnesses. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Eva Buckner, a medical entomology extension specialist at the Florida Medical Entomology Laboratory. Dr. Buckner provides training and information to UFIFIS Extension faculty and staff, the UF community, and the general public on topics related to medical entomology. Keep listening to hear more about Dr. Buckner's research on mosquito control and management. Dr. Buckner, thank you so much for being here today. If you don't mind starting off just by introducing yourself and telling everyone a little bit about your current career and areas of interest, that would be great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yes, uh, I am Dr. Eva Buckner and 
I focus primarily on extension and research. Um, I provide extension on anything related to medical entomology. And so some people might be wondering, like, what is that? Um, (laughs) So it's really, I like to think of it as um, insects such as mosquitoes and biting flies and other arthropods such as ticks any of those creepy crawlies that can provide discomfort and also can transmit pathogens that cause diseases. So primarily we're thinking about um, mosquitoes here. So I like to say that I conduct research on mosquito control and its impacts. And what I mean by that is, you know, I do look at forms of mosquito control, such as like traditional methods of mosquito control using insecticides. Um, I also look at novel ways of mosquito control other than using insecticides. And then I also, when I say I look at the impacts, I look at the outcomes such as pesticide resistance in mosquitoes. And so um, a big research project that my lab has been working on over the past two years has been uh, testing mosquito populations across the state for um, insecticide resistance to commonly used active ingredients and so monitoring for the uh, insecticide resistance in these mosquitoes. It sounds like you cover a very, very wide range of topics and challenges that all have to do with, like you said, not just mosquitoes, but for this episode and for this discussion, focusing in on mosquitoes because they are, as we all know, very prevalent in Florida. So what are some of the main challenges facing mosquito control and management? In terms of some of the big issues facing mosquito control, there's certainly going to be a lack of funding for mosquito control, especially in some counties. There's when you think about the mosquito control programs, sometimes the the, the programs are just not well funded, and so, and especially in our, in our northern counties in the state, their mosquito control program isn't even year round. So the same person that can be responsible for conducting mosquito control could also be the same person that's like the county dog catcher. And so, you know, there's there's not a lot of, always a lot of resources put into these programs. There's also not always a lot of resources put into the research to develop new products and new tools for mosquito control. And so as a result, we see sometimes an overuse and, and this is not an across-the-board statement about every mosquito control program. I want to be very clear about that. But there are certainly some programs, and this is worldwide, where there's an overuse of insecticides, especially to try and treat the adult mosquitoes. So there's an over-reliance on the, what are called adulticides. And as a result, that's led to insecticide resistance in these mosquitoes. So uh, insecticide resistance doesn't necessarily always lead to um, lack of efficacy. It really just, but it can certainly eventually lead to lack of efficacy of these products because they're just being used and used and they're not as effective against the mosquitoes anymore. Yeah. 
You mentioned how there's like, you know, these control programs and you said there's like insecticides, adulticides, and then other novel ways of controlling. Can you explain like what are what are some of those novel ways and what what are the components of these programs that consumers should know about? Absolutely. And I I love talking about this because I, I do feel like we live in in the state of Florida and we are where we live we do have some of the best mosquito control programs in the whole wide world, in my opinion. You know, working and getting to go to these different mosquito control programs and just seeing the people that work there and seeing how passionate they are about trying to, you know, reduce the nuisance that residents are affected, you know, how badly residents are affected by the nuisance of mosquitoes and also how much they want to help with the public, protect the public health of people from mosquito-borne diseases. You know, I'm always just so impressed by the passion of people in mosquito control. And, you know, there is certainly a range of mosquito control programs and what they do. Yes, at the absolute simplest program, there will be maybe a truck that puts out adulticide spray. But, you know, that's just really one facet of mosquito control. Really, the the best programs use what's called integrated pest management. And so that's using multiple tools to try and kill the mosquitoes. Um, Because what a lot of people don't realize is that mosquitoes actually have a complex life cycle where the aquatic immatures or the immature stage is actually aquatic. So everyone thinks about, oh, mosquitoes are just these insects that are flying around, but they actually spend at least half of their life cycle in water. And so, and then when they're actually in water, and, you know, it really depends on the mosquito species, what type of water they spend their immature stage in, whether it's like a a pond or just, you know, a cup with a little bit of, distorted cup with a little bit of water in it. It really just depends. But it's really when they're in that stage that they're the easiest to kill because they're contained within a body of water rather than flying around. Um, So integrated pest management is using a variety of tools and trying to kill the mosquitoes and um, at different life stages and not just focusing on the adult stage. So this would be using larvicides, so to kill the immature mosquitoes, like I said, when they're in um, the water. You can also use biological control and, you know, biological control to um, kill the immature mosquitoes. It's Additionally, biological control can be used to kill the adults, but again, it's a lot easier to kill the immature larvae when they're in a, a container of water. And so and then, of course, using the adulticides, the spray that kills the adults, that's always going to be an important tool. And But again, we don't want it to be the only tool. And the reason I say it's important is because we need to have that available during virus outbreaks or the other mosquito-borne disease outbreaks. Um, and some of, the, some of the additional tools it's what people may be hearing about right now. Um, this is not something that is widespread, but it is some you know a tool that's currently being 
researched is the release of genetically modified mosquitoes. Um, that's another tool of mosquito control. And one method that I'm study is the um, spread of a larvicide that um, is called paraproxifen. And the mosquitoes of a certain certain species, or actually two different species, Aedes aegypti, Aedes albopictus, the um, vectors of multiple viruses like dengue, chikungunya, and Zika, they actually can just get a little bit of this, uh, pick up a little bit of this larvicide on them at the adults, and then they go and find other spots to try and lay their eggs. And as they do that, they actually deposit a little bit of this larvicide in the containers, and then they... Um, kill any larvae that happen to be in those containers. So it's actually using, um, it's called auto-dissemination because you're using the mosquito to do the work for you to, rather than you disseminating the um, insecticide, they're doing that work for you. So that's the type of thing that I like to look into. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned how it's integrated pest management. I think a lot of the topics that are covered in extension and by extension specialists and and agents is always an integrated process. There's always a more complex, multiple solutions. It's more holistically viewed. So I'm glad you kind of made that point. Uh, I have one follow-up question before we move on. And that is, you mentioned, um, you know, we mosquitoes spend a lot of their life in water sources. You said, you know, whether it's a large body of water or maybe it's just a cup that's outside on a patio and it has a little bit of water in it. Uh, and I think a lot of people will have the question come to mind. If we're using these larvicides or insecticides or adulticides um, near our water sources, um, the question of like safety might arise. So is that something that consumers need to worry about at all? Or how does that affect water quality of, of these sources? Any larvicide that is being used by mosquito control program has been EPA tested and EPA uh, approved. Mosquito control programs also are most interested in using products that are going to be the most specific against mosquitoes. There is a lot of interest in conservation and ecology in in mosquito control. And and I think that's a misconception people have about mosquito control. One of the most popular, actually, there's really two highly used larvicides. And one's a a juvenile hormone, an insect hormone analog. And so it's only going to affect insects. It's only going to have an impact on insects. Um, Even more specific than that is a um, bacterial toxin it's that it's called uh, BTI and that BTI only has an impact on mosquitoes and midges. Many of the products that are used have very specific impacts uh, because the goal is to have as little non-target um, impact as possible. And that's actually one of the benefits of trying to use larvicides is that they are typically more specific than um, some of the adult um, adulticides that are sprayed. Uh, earlier you mentioned your 
admiration of how passionate people are about like public health or serving public health, public interests, especially with these mosquito-borne or transmitted diseases. So can you talk a little bit about how your research addresses the challenges of mosquito-borne diseases? My research, like I said, I, I try and look at the um, novel methods of mosquito control um, and one of them being the transmission or auto-dissemination of paraproxifen. And I think, you know, that is trying to add another tool to the toolbox uh, against the mosquitoes and controlling mosquitoes. Additionally, with my, my lab's project that we've been working on for about two years, testing the insecticide resistance in Florida uh, populations of Aedes aegypti, Aedes albopictus, and Culex quinquefasciatus. These are the mosquito species that are, they, they transmit um, Aedes aegypti, Aedes albopictus. As I said earlier, they tra- can transmit uh, Zika, chikungunya, and dengue virus. Culex quinquefasciatus, a southern house mosquito, it can transmit West Nile virus. So these certainly are the, the species that in Florida have the most negative impacts on public health because they can transmit viruses to humans. And so my research and extension are very closely tied together with this. And so what we've been doing is with the effort of mosquito control programs, they've been very instrumental to this project. They've been collecting mosquito eggs um, throughout the state, sending in the mosquito eggs to us. We rear them up to adulthood in my lab and we test them for resistance to the active ingredients that are commonly used by the mosquito control programs. And then what I do as part of my extension is that I communicate the results of the resistance testing to the mosquito control programs. And I provide population-specific resistance results as well as management recommendations. And so usually what I'll do is I'll communicate with the uh, manager of the mosquito control program, the local mosquito control program. I'll let them know what the results were. And then I'll also tell them, you know, this active ingredient was able to produce the highest mortality results for your mosquito populations. You know, this is, I usually try and give a recommendation of one or two active ingredients in different insecticide classes to use so that those products can be rotated. And I let them know, maybe, you know, because these products or these active ingredients didn't really yield the highest mortality rates, maybe we should try and take a break from using them so that there might be increased efficacy of these products later on. And so I give them ideas and suggestions for which products are going to be the most effective and how to be able to utilize those products over the long term so that they continue being effective and continue keeping people safe against hopefully the mosquito-borne diseases. That's great. You're looking at the big picture, the long haul. <laughs> um, so looking forward, what are the what's the future of a research? What are the next steps that you're looking to look into? I actually have a, a master's student who is going to be graduating this summer. Um, she's been doing some incredible work. We have, with her research, and, you know, this is a, an area I really hope to spend some more time in, 
Um, we've been looking not just at what insecticides the mosquitoes are resistant to. We've been looking at the mechanisms as to what allows them to be resistant to them. Um, so trying to understand why they're resistant. Also, she really, I thought it was awesome because she looked at the resistance levels at different times during the day. And so she actually found that the mosquitoes for Aedes aegypti, she actually found that they were more resistant um, in the evening rather than during the day. And typically this is when in the evening is when the mosquito control programs are making their applications of adulticides. And I hope to be able to make recommendations about timing of applications, not just, you know, products to use and rotations of those products, but um, I hope to be able to make recommendations of when the timing, when the product should be used, um, when the mosquitoes are going to be most susceptible to these products. And then I also hope to be able to not just focus on looking at the um, resistance in adult mosquitoes, but I also want to spend more time looking at the resistance of mosquitoes when they're, they are in the larval stage. Because unfortunately, even though it's, it's not as great as in for the adult mosquitoes, we are starting to see um, resistance towards some uh, larvicides in certain mosquito populations. So I think it'd be really beneficial to spend more time researching that in the future. And that's what I hope to spend my time on. Before we wrap up the episode, do you mind telling listeners what what they can do in their own homes, day-to-day lives, to help prevent mosquito-borne illnesses or breeding? So uh, as I talked about, we have so many different types of mosquitoes, and um, they can be found in different types of, of water sources when they're immature. And the vectors that can transmit the viruses, the Aedes aegypti, the yellow fever mosquito, um, Aedes albopictus, the Asian tiger mosquito, and then Gilles concopostiatus, the southern house mosquito. You know, those are, those are species, like I said, can transmit viruses. And they actually, they come to become closely associated with humans. And so they like to take advantage of are items that we leave out around our houses that might fill with water, so a bucket or um, a pot that might fill with water. They really have come to take advantage of all these items. Um, So my advice is to go around your house maybe once a week, especially when we get into our our rainy season when it's, it's raining on a regular basis. And just, you know, check for those items that you may not think about, such as your, if you have a small pool for your dog that might fill with water, maybe just dump it out once a week um, and do this for all items that might collect water around your house. Um, and that is going to help reduce the number of mosquitoes that are in your neighborhood and around your house And then additionally, there's other methods to look into for these um, containers that may not, you can't really dump, such as uh, bird baths. There's mosquito dunks that have the 
uh, larvicide BTI that I mentioned that has only really impacts mosquitoes as well as midges. If you get those, if you put a dunk like that in your bird bass. And then also investigate your local mosquito control programs. Some of them provide free mosquito fish to go in ponds or something, anything that you have that you may not be able to dump out. See what your local mosquito control program can offer. And sometimes if you have issues where you have mosquitoes around your home, many of the mosquito control programs, if you call them, they'll come do a service request and they will investigate the source of the mosquitoes for you. And so I encourage everyone to reach out to their local mosquito control program and get them involved and see what they can do to help you. Don't view them as the enemy. They really are trying to help. And if listeners are interested in learning more about mosquito control, transmission, mosquito-borne illnesses, all that good stuff, any suggestions of where they can find more information? So UF IFAS, we have a great a number of our EDIS documents. So if you just go to Ask IFAS, the website, and just type in mosquito or mosquito control, there's some great publications. One specifically on mosquito control around homes and in neighborhoods to get suggestions like the ones I've just talked about. If you're like, what, is she, what did she say about that dunk? What was that? You know, you can just go to Ask IFAS and find all that information. I want to thank Dr. Eva Buckner for speaking with us today and providing insights into her work as a medical entomology extension specialist. Be sure to listen to part two in this series where we will hear from Dr. Ricky Telg, the director of the Pi Center, and from Dr. Roel Dinglossen, a professor of infectious diseases and the director of the CDC Southeastern Regional Center of Excellence in Vector-Borne Diseases, as they continue our conversation on mosquito control and management. I want to thank everyone involved in the production of this podcast. Philip Stokes, Michaela Kanzer, Rachel Raven, Ricky Telg, Sydney Honeycutt, Valentina Castano, Ashley McLeod-Morin, and Elena Poulin. I'm Jacqueline Ayenje, and this is Science by the Slice. 